At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that's a magic carpet for pop culture to enter your bloodstream and go to your brain, it's Sifpa. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Saturday mornings or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Woo! I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and I get 10% of the podcast, and that's him being generous. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if that were true. <laughs> Each week we'll chat about oh, movies, boy. TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. He wasn't gone. He was just lost. It's Jonathan Paula, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, hello. Woo. Good hey, to be John. back. Uh, I missed January uh, and, and, uh, and the sifties and stuff, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to talk about a couple of movies today that uh, I have some thoughts on. Let me tell you. Well, that's good. I'm glad <laughs> you brought thoughts along with you. Uh, that that makes it uh, a fun Should show be. when when we have thoughts. Uh, it's weird. I just wing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are those are yeah. So your thoughts are more procured in the moment. Uh, you don't bring them in like a in a, a bag with you to the table you're just like i didn't yeah. say mine were prepared i just have them. <laughs> <laughs> well if you already have them then you know you're not you're not Man. picking them off the tree during the show i don't know listen i'm we'll just see about i'm that. just trying to make this metaphor work guys that's what you do you just try to make I the metaphors decide work. whether i like a movie or not based on your guys's reaction <laughs> the movie the it's not until i sit down here that i'm like did i like this or not I'll start talking and figure it out by the time I finish my sentence. Right, right. The, se- <laughs> the secret is out. The secret is out. 
Uh, we are going to chat Uncharted and Kimmy today. Those are the two movies today. Excited to get into those. Best ever challenge today is best ever unmovies, movies that have a word in the title that begins with the letters U-N. Uh, and then, of course, we'll do some buried treasure, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, before we get into our reviews, though, wanted to give you a heads up. The Sposkers are available for your choices. So every year we do the live Sposkers uh, in conjunction with the Oscars, the Academy Awards. And how this works is you go to the website, sifpop.com, where you see the Sposkers menu. Just click on Sposkers. That'll take you to the pick sheet. And then you just put your picks in. Uh, keep track of your own because they won't be available to see uh, until, I think, the day of the Oscars uh, once you've uh, picked them. Uh, I think you can choose to get an email with your picks sent to you. But anyways, go to sifpop.com, mm. click on Sposkers, make your picks. We usually have hundreds of people that do this uh, every year, and it's a lot of fun because then on Oscars night, we all watch the show together. We do the live show uh, on the YouTube channel, and we see who does the uh, the best picking. We kind of have a competition between our experts, quote unquote, the guest gurus on Sif Pop and uh, Andrew and I, and then an overall uh, competition as well. So uh, it's a lot of fun, and it usually comes down to how long the broadcast is going to last because that's the tiebreaker, yeah. and it's always fun to see over. somebody rooting for it's always it's over, over. <laughs> it's not always over it is not always over uh sometimes they actually have been under uh i don't that, i don't uh, believe you i don't <laughs> when when in my lifetime has the have the oscars come in under three hours it's happened it's happened somebody look it up and prove me right uh oscars has number the, one the, 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 i've the, actually the, i've the, actually been so frequently uh flabbergasted by how how long they run that i'm like is it programmed to three and a half and that's why they go 335 <laughs> right. is it only five no no it really is an, a half an hour and five minutes long some yeah. years yeah no not, it's, not five it's minutes, been over, over 30 four hours sometimes they sometimes they go over an hour uh i don't i don't know how you program a show that Poorly. I used to AD in high school, uh, in in college, and AD shows and, and run mm-hmm. time on a live TV program. If you're over thirty seconds, you've c- completely failed at your job. You got to hit those commercial breaks, and right. you got to hit your forty five minutes, or whatever, to go over an hour beyond scheduled. It's like, I, how do you program it? Like, that, well, you just skill. You, you just don't care at that point. Like, there's just there's some level of. We're going to show well, what we want to show and just not care about the length. Yeah. Yeah. No. If, well, if we're going to run late, well, let's just make the best of it. Let's throw in an extra in memoriam while we're at it. Like, why yes, not? Yes. Might as well. Might as well. But it is what makes that tiebreaker interesting. And I think what, what makes it yes. work really well is because you've got so few categories, you know there are going to be ties. But then it always comes down to, at the end of the live show, somebody rooting for the, the broadcast to end and somebody rooting for it to go on. And it's just, it's kind of one of those those fun things. So. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. So, anyway, Sposkers are available to pick. The show itself, I believe, is the 27th this year of March. Yep. So Pretty late in the season. Yeah. So, you've got like uh, five weeks, uh, five or six weeks uh, to get those picks in. But go ahead and, and do it as soon as you're ready. Uh, it'll be and a if, lot of And fun. if you're like me, you have five more weeks to binge all of those short documentaries and yes. live action shorts and all, all that stuff you don't normally see. Mm-hmm. you got to go out of your way to find. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully your local theater does like a marathon. And rumor has it, this may just be a rumor, rumor has it the people involved in the Sposkers may be the only ones watching the Academy Awards this year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah. 
I uh, still enjoy it, but it, it, the, the public but... sentiment does seem to be fading. Oh man, I didn't it's, buy that tuxedo for nothing. It's, it is. Uh, it is going to. I think it is going to be tragic uh, how few people watch the awards this year. It is going to be even worse than last year, in my opinion. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, how that I'm inclined to I'm inclined to agree, especially if something like Power of the Dog sweeps. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a movie I think many regular people saw. Yeah. Um, and I know the people that did see it have some divisive opinions on it. So, like, who knows if. Yeah. I saw like, it. The, I year, thought... the year we had Parasite, I feel like that was that was great. Everyone was like, yes, that was good. Well, here's, and... here's one interesting thing that I don't know that it changes anything because the Academy is clearly in. Welcome to topic number one before we get to the reviews. The Academy is clearly uh, saying we don't care about commercial success as much as we care about honoring what we think is art right like i mean this is a huge body of people so it's hard to say they're saying anything as a you know as a a group but they seem to be wanting to you know putting drive my car as a best picture nominee is a clear sign you know in not putting spider-man or whatever you know they might put in there dune's probably the closest I guess to popcorn entertainment, but even that well, is there's always one movie every year that's kind of teetering on the edge of popcorn entertainment, as mm-hmm. you said, that they'll nominate, but you know it has no shot to ever win. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, well, but which this didn't was, this used was, to be I the think... case. That didn't used to be the case. Titanic won, Avatar won, you know, I wait, did Avatar win? I don't remember. But, no, but Avatar, Titanic. Return of, the King, Return of the King did, and I believe that was the number one film yeah, right. that year. Avatar yeah. was nominated though, I believe. But anyways. It was. Yeah. So, so it, you know, it is it is one of those interesting things, and the other part of that is now more than ever, those things are available. Power of the Dog is on Netflix. You know, you mentioned not a lot of people have seen it, but I wonder if Netflix will release numbers that'll be like, hey, because people know it's available and it got all these nominations, it like the numbers completely spiked. The only thing <laughs> Netflix that... revealing numbers. That's funny. <laughs> well, they do when it benefits them. Uh, the yeah. the uh, the only movie of the ten that is nominated that won't be available to stream digitally by the the awards is Licorice Pizza unless they announce something or to own like West Side Story and Nightmare Alley just announced they will have discs out by the Oscars well, like the week before Nightmare so. Alley is already on Hulu so I was gonna say right. Nightmare is already on digital right uh, but yeah the, the big one I'm waiting for is West Side Story I did not get a chance to see that theatrically so I'm, yeah I'm waiting for the, yeah so the I home think release. that. Yeah, that home release is like a week or two before the Oscars. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. And it's going to completely bust every prediction I have, I'm sure, because I'm going to have to restructure my rank. I'm, yeah. I hope I love it. I think I will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's get into the show. We've talked about the Academy Awards let's enough. But yes, go to uh, siftpop, S-I-F-T-P-O-P.com, and then click on Sposkers, and that'll take you to the pick sheet. And thanks for doing nice. that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, let's kick it off with a review of Uncharted. 500 years ago, my family found the world's biggest fortune, then was betrayed. People have been searching for it all in vain. Both of you turn your keys clockwise at the same time. Thanks a lot. You almost got me killed. Clockwise, Sully! Well, it was 50-50, so I made a guess. Clearly. Voyage was not just about gold, it was something much more valuable. This girl has a very tragic history, so much blood. I'm pretty sure he just threatened to kill me. A young street smart Nathan Drake and his wisecracking partner Victor Sully Sullivan embark on a dangerous pursuit of the greatest treasure never found, while also tracking clues that may lead to Nathan's long lost brother. 
this is Tom Holland as Nathan Drake, Mark Wahlberg as Victor Sullivan. Um, and then you've got Antonio Banderas uh, in there as well. Um, what did you guys think? Did you like this? Love it? Hate it? Or it was just okay? Mm, I liked it. You know what? J- Jonathan just like straight in the, the liked it. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah, right. I liked it. Andrew? I liked it. I think I'm with John. Maybe a little bit lower, but still liked it. So maybe low side of liked it, medium low side of liked it. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the just okay camp and maybe not even high side of just okay. Um, I have a lot of problems with this movie, but there isn't, there there isn't, uh, it's not like terrible. It's not one of those movies I came out of going, uh, rolling my eyes the entire time, but it is one of those movies where I definitely, if I was going to really enjoy the experience was going to have to view it a certain way. I was going to have to quit thinking, you know, certain things about it. So, John, it sounds like you liked it the most. So, why don't you kick us off? What's some of the stuff you you loved about <laughs> Uncharted? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like uh, taking that mantle because I, I think yeah. we all kind of disliked it the most. But actually, before we begin proper, I would love to hear your thoughts on the game franchise and perhaps more importantly, your background with it. I've played that's a great, all five. That's a great point. Yeah, I've played all five uh, PlayStation titles. Uh, some of my absolute favorite. Uncharted Two is one of probably my top five games ever. It is just phenomenal. Yeah. And even the most recent one, Uncharted Lost Legacy, that stars the two female uh, protagonists, that game was excellent. Uh, they've all been so good. And since yeah. they came out, what, 15 years ago, uh, I mean, it feels like playing a movie. They, they play very cinematically. It's an action-adventure, Indiana Jones, as a game. And I think it was from the jump obvious that this would make for a really good movie someday. And we finally got that movie, and it's like, what did they get wrong? Why Why did something that could should so easily translate to the big screen fall so short? Well, um, I think this is where they fall short. They tried so hard not to be Indiana Jones that they forgot to try and be Uncharted in some elements of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, That's an interesting I can, thought. Yeah. Um, I will answer the question as well. Uh, no experience. Never played a single second of any of the games. Um, so that puts me in a different kind of mindset, I think, than you guys. because you Oh, probably, absolutely. Because you, you are probably, in many ways, noticing, I, I will say this, there's a little bit of... Warcrafting going on here and when I say that this is my primary example of a movie where every once in a while there's a wink and I'm like why are you making a wink so obvious that people who haven't oh, yeah. played the thing will will get and there are a couple moments in this movie where I'm like okay I get your winking but I have no clue what you're winking at uh, thanks guy on the beach like I like that, okay. I, I, I don't just know say what's going on here that was Nolan North he is Nathan Drake in the games Okay, fine. That's that's what I'm saying. But that that is yeah. that is to me like my difference in perspective is, and maybe why I liked it less than you guys, is I'm not connecting to any of that stuff. And the movie is making it obvious enough that the people who aren't connected to it are going to feel left out, are going to feel like I'm missing something here. Uh, it's it's interesting think- to hear that you liked it the least with no connection or relationship because yeah. I was going to assume you liked it more because from my standpoint, the thing that really deterred my immersion and my enjoyment was the casting. Like Tom Holland, for all that he is able to bring to the table, he's not Nolan North. He's not Nathan Fillion. He's not Nate yeah. Drake. He is a 20-whatever cosplaying as a mid-30-something and he yeah. doesn't really even feel like he comes into the role until like the very final couple scenes. When he finally picks up a gun like three minutes before the movie ends, I was and like, he finally, he put the gun belt. Like that's when you start the first game, like the second thing you do after learning the controls is shoot someone. 
And yet there were no <laughs> guns in this movie. It was really weird. Like they tried to redefine the character uh, in a way that I didn't care for. And then, yeah, Mark Wahlberg is also, uh, I think, badly miscast. Uh, th- this is supposed to be like an old, crusty, you know, He's cigar smoking, mustache wearing, Hawaiian shirt wearing dude. And Wahlberg is like, say hello to your mother for me. Like, it doesn't jive at all for me. Like, the characters we know and love from the other five games, or four in in most cases, because they weren't in the fifth, with what we saw on screen. And it's like, they have been so clearly defined. There isn't a lot of room for adaptation. It's not like you're taking a platform or something like Sonic, where, like, maybe his character isn't as developed because he doesn't have, you know, strong human characteristics in a lot of his games. Versus... Nate Drake, who is a very well-defined, very well-written, and well-acted character in, in cinematic stories that are, you know, 10, 12 hours in length. So we know him really well. And then we get this version of him, which just feels so different and so unfamiliar. And I think if you can divorce yourself from the game, which I, I tried to do as best as I could, I think on its face, it's like a decent actioner in the vein of National Treasure or Tomb Raider or uh, Indiana Jones. And I think it has a lot of fun and huge set pieces. But yeah, that character work—I just none of it worked for me, like at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, that is interesting because uh, you you would assume that I would like it better because of that. In the the part that you're talking about, I do like that. I think I think Tom Holland's fine in this character. Like I I liked this character. I, I, yeah, I I, I should uh, uh, stipulate that he's good. But he's not good as Nate, if that makes sense. Like it's a good but movie, but me, not a good, not a good Uncharted movie. But for he me, is your Nathan Drake he now. is my Nathan yeah. Drake. That, that's yeah. all I know yeah. of Nathan Drake. So he is a good Nathan Drake for me. I like this character. Yeah. I find it interesting. I, you know, uh, it clearly has somewhere to go. I didn't know that guns were a big part of it, so that never entered, you know, my mind. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg he didn't kills seem... so many people. <laughs> Mark, Mark Mark Wahlberg didn't seem terrible to me any more than just the normal Wahlberginess of his performances. Yeah. But um but yeah, so you're right that my disconnection from the games helped me to enjoy those parts of the movie or at least give them uh, a little bit of a pass. Um, so what didn't you like then? Because this is actually throwing my assumption on its head. I'm actually I curious think what this you- movie is, uh, I guess I'll just go into my name. I think this movie is so dumb and illogical to the point of ridiculousness. There, there are choices yeah. that characters make in this movie that often make no sense. And it just happens over and over again. And then there are moments that just stretch my ability to suspend my disbelief in ways that um the entire back 30 is just like oh come on (laughs) it's terrible it's terrible like if that if you get if you get distracted early by how terrible the logic of this movie is in some of the the character choices are it is all you will see for the entire movie and that's what i said i had to shift my brain to go okay take in the pretty visuals take in the charismatic performances have fun with what they're trying to do. Remember, this is based on a video game. Let it use video game logic if it wants to. You know, like, there's there's these things that I had to keep reminding myself because, yes, overall, I just felt like it was one of those things that, that didn't make a lot of sense. So that's why, and usually when a movie is like that to this degree, like, for instance, Moonfall that I've seen recently, I come out of it really hating it because I just can't get past the eye-rolly nature uh, of it. So I think it does say something about the craft of the film um, that that is good. I have a couple other negatives, but that's probably the primary one uh, since mm-hmm. you asked that question. And Andrew, what about you? 
Well, I think because you and I have played the games, maybe our suspension of disbelief when it comes to those crazy set pieces is is fine and sometimes enjoyable. Like, the beginning of this movie with the plane is the beginning of the third game, right? Or is it the yeah. second game? I, and it, I enjoyed that game. sequence, I think, the most. Everything with the yeah. cargo plane, I enjoyed a lot. Yeah. Because it did feel like I was maybe not playing the game, but it felt like, all right, I know this. This is familiar. And it's yeah. completely unbelievable, but also, I think, within the realm of possible uh, enough that I was able to kind of shut my brain off. But, yeah, yeah. The, the the last part of the movie, I don't know if we want to spoil it. It is in the trailer. Um, it is just so completely ridiculous. The Flying Dutchman. Just, yeah, it's ju- yeah, it's just I don't <laughs> – none of, none of this is possible. You're insane. So, yeah. so my question is this, what percentage of movies that are released now do you think start in media res uh, that start with the middle and then find our way back? Like this, this is starting to really annoy me. Like I know it, you're, you're talking about the cold open where they, they show yeah. you a, a snippet from the third act yeah. and then they jump back and tell you the story. It's, it's very lazy screenwriting. It's, we don't it's ha- done in the game, so it's kind of like homage. Like this is how right. they did I it in the game, but that doesn't change the fact but that I know I'm what you're sick of too. it. Like I'm just yeah. like okay, like a, a, a moratorium on it. this for a while. Like let's stop <laughs> doing this for a while. You know, it's it's very lazy screenwriting because it says to me that you couldn't come up with a stronger way to start your movie. Yes, so you're just cribbing your own excitement later in the movie and trading against it. So, like and then it's the whole time we're like, when are we going to get back to this? And it's just frustrating. Like, come up with a better way to start your movie. Indiana Jones used to do it great. He would, you would start the movie mm-hmm. in a cave, looking for a, you know a gold fertility idol, and that would be incredible. It'd be an opening ten minutes <laughs> that you do not see again later. You don't go back to the jungle. Mm-hmm. Like that's that. That's what made those movies really good. Is they started with that uh, like Saturday morning, uh, you know, conclusion from like the last serial, the last yeah. adventure. Yeah. And Uncharted totally could have done something similar where they where Nate finishes up like his last whatever. But in this movie, he's sort of not a treasure hunter yet. We start early. This is this entire story. He's a pickpocket. Uh, for the, yeah, for those uninitiated. Uh, yeah, this entire story is a prequel to the first game. If if it even exists in the same continuity, uh, and I don't think it does. But the Nate we know from the video games comes after everything we see in this movie. This is kind of how he got his start. Yeah. By the way, the pickpocketing is some of the most frustratingly annoying parts of this movie. Apparently, if you're just in the same room as somebody, you don't have to be next to them, but you can pickpocket them. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's just, it's just, it's not, it's not even sleight of hand magic. It's just straight actual magic. You know, like this movie's just like, nope, things just disappear and reappear somewhere else. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. There's so much of that in this movie. That's what I'm saying. Force like that, teleportation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's teleportation, uh, basically. There is some point. teleportation later during the Flying Dutchman sequence where Marky Mark is like, "Hey, I'm going to go up to the helicopter," and then they <laughs> cut, and he's there. Like yeah. this, you got to climb a like a 50 foot chain in 50 mile an hour winds across this rickety contraption, and, and it's just like, "Oh, he was what he was carrying." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's, there's at hundreds least a hundred pounds, pounds. Of, hundreds of pounds on his back, and he's like, "Dum dum, I'm up." Yeah. <laughs> Have you? I haven't done that since gym class, but it was hard then. <laughs> yeah. I would climb a rope straight up. I wonder if action movies today like doff their cap to the Fast and Furious franchise and just like thanks for making things so ridiculous that we can get away with anything. Um, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I, there was definitely a few sequences in this 
that I could 100% see in a Fast and Furious game uh, mm-hmm. a movie. If uh, you replace those boats with like tractor trailers or something, mm-hmm. that's a right. Fast and Furious sequence. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. People jumping from truck to truck in midair, that's absolutely Fast 10 to your seatbelts right there. Well, I, I, <laughs> I want to ha- go ahead. Go ahead, Andrew. I was going to say, I want to compare this movie to another video game treasure hunting movie that recently, quote unquote, just came out. Mm-hmm. Tomb Raider. Yeah, the one with Alicia Vikander. Yeah. I like Tomb Raider leagues more than I like this Me one. Me too. Big Me time. Too. Big time. Yeah, because Tomb Raider for what it is, is somewhat grounded in reality. And I don't mean, you know, physics, which definitely <laughs> play a part, but the characters seem human. Like whenever uh, Lara finally has to kill somebody, it's horrifying. Like, it's not like she just does it like carelessly, like you see like Nathan or Sully do it, you know, it's. No, they it's, play it for laughs in this movie. He's like, oops, sorry, I killed you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. I I think Tomb Raider has done it better. And and here's the other part. My other major negative, actually, two oh, other them all. Please, major it. negatives. But the, <laughs> the next one I want to talk about is you mentioned Andrew that this movie is trying hard not to be Indiana Jones, and yet it felt like it. And yet it's just Indiana Jones. <laughs> like, like just because you reference it doesn't mean I'm not looking at you and going, you know, you're you're doing the same thing, right? Like. It's it's uh, it, this movie is not only derivative in those ways. It's it's derivative in the way it handles its characters. It's derivative in the you know. There's just so much trope and cliche. And I understand storytelling cliches exist for a reason, right? I mean, Pixar has a storytelling rule book, right? Like they have a, a law book of what makes a really good story, and you can see that pattern in their movies. But seeing the underlying pattern is is different to me than just feeling like. Oh, I've been here before. Oh, I'm not. What's new here? What is new in this movie? Right? Like, what is it giving to me that I'm like, oh, I haven't seen a story do that before. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. What's the difference between paying homage and just straight up copying? Right. Yeah. That is a good question. And I don't think this movie really adequately. Well, but here's the thing. Uncharted, the video game was fresh because it was like, oh, we're going to make an Indiana Jones video game. Like that's, you know, well, I guess Tomb Raider. I don't know. I I think I think the big the the sort of um, the separation that the games created and its sort of selling point was it was the modernization of the action serial. It took the Indiana Jones and brought it to the 21st century. Yeah. And it introduced um, more modern aspects. And perhaps most importantly, it anchored everything with a really, really strong emotional character uh, throughout the whole so thing. So kind of Nate, maybe kind of how like uh, Jason Bourne is to James Bond, right? Like the, that, yes, I, that was I the idea. Yes, I think that's a, that's a great analogy. Um, and I don't know that they adequately tapped into that modernization aspect. And they certainly did not tap into any relationship aspect. One of the strongest parts of Uncharted is Nate's relationship with his future wife, who's not even in this movie. Yeah. Like I don't <laughs> I was how do you I, I, I was like, just like, oh, where's Elena? Here. How did you not include like one of well, the central characters of this franchise in the movie? I would almost give them props for some of that. You mentioned the gun thing, the the wife thing. It seems like they're maybe thinking big picture. They're thinking franchise. They're That's thinking I, 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 potentially I will like the second movie a lot more. Um because it's going to finally kind of go into the territory I'm more familiar with and the stuff right. I want to see translated to the big screen. Um, 
And early box office returns indicate that this movie is actually going to do really well. Um, well I, I mean, was surprised. It's Tom Holland. You know, like it's. I, 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 think- I um, my theater was almost entirely empty. Um, I, there was only like two other people there, but. Uh, Mine was pretty full. Mine was pretty full, but I I will say I I find it interesting. I really do think it's a Tom Holland thing. And I think we thought we were past the idea of box office draws as actors. And I don't know that we are. Like, I still think there are some charismatic performers that like put butts in seats. And I I think he will be one um, for the future. I never thought we were past that. I've heard I've heard a lot of talk about the era of the movie star being in the past in that now it's it's, i've heard that as well and uh i'm inclined to disagree that it's entirely gone like you used to be able to put like julia roberts on the poster and that was enough yeah george clooney go watch it like uh when when oceans 11 came out 20 years ago whatever just the cast poster Mm -hmm. alone was like oh shoot this is gonna be huge so these days i think you need more of a hook and i think this had both it had any playstation fan has played this at some point, and then mm-hmm. anyone who likes Tom Holland, and that that Venn diagram includes a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other neg- a- the other negative I want to mention it is a huge one uh, for me, but not a huge part of the movie. Um, I thought the score in this movie was terrible. I yeah, didn't even notice I, it. Oh, it, it was, and again and again, so disappointing because the score for the video games is so good. I yeah. love. I have all three soundtracks from the three main games. Uh, and they're brilliant. The theme is so good. And we hear like little motifs of it, I think twice. And it's sort of like a, a, a really low key, like piano only version of like the famous Nate, uh, Nate's theme, whatever it's called. And otherwise, the whole time I'm like, where's the theme music? How, how? It would be like rebooting Indiana Jones and not including John Williams. It's like, I, I don't. What are you doing? I just You're making was, this harder for no reason. I just thought it was shoddy work too. Like it just it felt intrusive. It wasn't used well. Uh, none of the melodies felt like they they fit the scenes to me. It almost sounded cheap. Like it was made for a video game. Like I just I I I don't know why it caught me early and I just I could not shake it the rest of the movie. Just how terrible the score felt to me. But that was well. I want to talk about a positive. <laughs> Can we talk <laughs> yes. about a positive? Let's talk we about did, we did. We did like it, and I think I might even go yeah. so far as to say I'd recommend it. But yeah, what did you like about it? I think the movie's funny. I do think the movie's funny. There's a there's a, a recurring bit with a Scottish guy that I I, I chuckled at every single it time. Yeah. It works, and whenever you have Tom Holland doing that version of Nathan Drake, I think yeah. that's where it works the most. No. Because Nathan Drake is kind of not—I I don't want to take away from his skill, but he he fumbles into a success a little bit mm-hmm. every now and then, and that's part of his charm. So whenever they were doing that, I was like, okay, yeah, this is the part of or or he's just you know kind of a Ryan Reynolds ish, not to like that extreme, but you know he has that charm of that that positive smarmy attitude. And whenever he's doing that, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can dig this. Now wait another five years to do uncharted Two. whenever Tom Holland can actually grow facial hair. And <laughs> I want to see, I want to see, uh, you know, uncharted Two. then it was, it, it was on the topic of his age. And we mentioned this a bit in the uh, members only pre-show. It was just disconcerting a bit. Cause I had just watched cherry where he plays a 17 year old. Mm-hmm. And then this movie yeah. where I think he's trying to play 30. I, don't really yeah. know what age he's trying to be, but he filmed them in the same year. They they both shot like last year, um, and it's it's just like so. Are you yeah. trying to be a teenager? Or are you trying to be thirty? Because 
you can't have it both ways, Tom. Yeah, and, and you in definitely look more eighteen ish. Yeah, yeah, and, and in Spider Man, which I think that obviously his most known role, Peter Parker's like college age. He's he's going off to school. He's eighteen, nineteen years old. It's kind yeah. of one of those things when they they did the backstory for the Nathan Drake character. I was like, you know, Tom Holland could have played, you know. 12-year-old Tom Young Holland, Tom. if you want yeah. <laughs> yeah, to. I, that was so weird because they're like 15 years earlier. Wait, so he's an infant? Like, how old is this kid? Yeah. He yeah, looks like he's only five years younger. Like, I do not... They went yeah. from they went from 25 to 10? Because the kid looked 15 or 16. I don't... Yeah. yeah. He has Paul Rudd syndrome. Yeah. A bit. Yes. Yeah, a, a bit. little bit. Not a bad syndrome to have. Uh, no. Not a bad syndrome. Um, I, I do want to single out some of the... Uh, not not to spoil them, but to mention some of the character betrayals and and like the double agent mm-hmm. stuff and all that backstabbing. I think that's par for the course in a, an adventure film. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to Raiders, Alfred Molina stabs Indy in the back within like the first three minutes of the film. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that's expected. But uh, Aaron, for you especially, having not been familiar with this franchise, were there any surprises? Did you did you think throughout the movie, oh, this Sully guy is totally someone I can't trust? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Uh, Sully, okay. it seemed to me the movie was trying to say that Sully and Nathan were the, the core, that they were going yes. to be, and that everybody okay. else was out for themselves. And I didn't find any of the betrayals to be a twist. Yes. Oh, that, I, that was that was the point I was getting to is like, for me, I know that Sully is like Nate's surrogate father. Mm-hmm. And he is, he is like the coolest guy and we know we can trust him. So when they keep trying to play him off as this untrustworthy guy going to stab Nate in the back, I'm like... I, I, no, I never don't believe that. that. No, like, I never I'm never, that. I'm never going to bo- believe that you're going to twist the one other teammate as a villain. Whereas I know everyone else in this movie is a villain. So there was no tension there. And they kept trying to mine it. Like, oh, look what I did. I'm like, the exact thing I expected you to? That's not, <laughs> that's not dramatic. So that happened, I think, like three or four times where they would be like, oh, I got you. It's like, no, you didn't. We expected you to. And we're back to the negatives. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the other positive that I did want to mention, I think this movie is uh, beautiful, uh, often, uh, and yeah, I think the, it was, it was shot really well and the, it, it and the visuals are well done. I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think there's a real competence to the visual aspect of this film. Uh, there are things I've never seen on the screen before, uh, probably for reasons because they're that ridiculous, but, but also they did look beautiful and that's where I was able to kind of land both with the humor that you mentioned and, uh, Andrew, as well as the visuals and just go, okay, here's how I can enjoy sitting through this movie and being invested, um, in it in that way, because I wasn't, I wasn't invested in the gold. I wasn't invested in, you know, uh, what they were trying to do. I was barely invested in the characters because honestly without being too spoilery one of the main driving forces they set up has basically zero payoff um yeah and i think there's another i think it's another thing they're saving um i mean it clearly is if you stay through the credits another thing that they're saving Um, uh yeah the couple post-credit scenes um well i guess technically there's only one post-credit scene because technically the credit sentence started for that one (laughs) Really? Yeah, the there's, like, there's like there's like a pre-credit scene and then a mid-credit scene. Yeah. Oh, because they flash they flash the title card. There's and a quick then, like epilogue. Oh, okay. And yeah, then yeah, the yeah. credits proper. That's what I'm saying. I guess I, I say that it's how it started. <laughs> I guess I considered the the title as the end, and then but no, you're yeah. right. No credits had, had had actually run, so I guess it epilogue would be probably better. It's it's yeah. interesting because I often go back and um and watch trailers. Was was I mistaken in thinking 
there are scenes in the trailer from the epilogue of this movie. Like I it, think so. They're, they're, there are, yeah. To just, I just, what are we doing? What are we doing? I don't understand. Yeah. Like it's, it's wild. One last thing I want to talk about because I already mentioned uh, post credit scenes and stuff. The the video game element of this movie, and I'll just say the Flying Dutchman sequence in mm-hmm. this movie. Yes, it it kind of doesn't work for you know the film, you know, because it's so ridiculous. But if that was a level in a game. That would be amazing. That's the brain. That, that's know? what I talk yes. about when I'm talking about having to put myself in that mindset. Uh, mindset yeah. of this is a video game movie. So video game logic. Yeah. How cool is this? Like, yeah. And I just and maybe that's why it's so hard to adapt video games sometimes because they. Yeah. You know, it's hard to to produce a movie that that feels more realistic and and um, we're we're less willing to suspend disbelief when we're not playing. Uh, so yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, John, did you have anything else you wanted to mention? About um, I think generally we've been really negative, but I did have a good time with this. It, it was a fun, diverting two-hour picture. I think all the leads are having a good time. Their chemistry, I think, mostly works, even if it doesn't feel like the Nate and Sully we know from the games. Uh, they have a rapport. And I think some of the puzzle solving and some of like the adventure and exploration stuff kind of works when they're in uh, Barcelona. I like that sequence quite a bit. Um, but yeah, if you can suspend your disbelief and get past the fact that this is not a great adaptation of the video game property and just look at it as a, as a standalone cinematic movie, uh, I think it's, it's pretty fun. And I think most people will have a really good time with it, not expecting much. And if this had gone straight to Netflix, not that they could afford it because this is clearly like a $200 million film. Um, I think you would absolutely be like, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd watch that on streaming. This is really fun. Has Netflix not dropped $200 million on a film? I, I feel mean, like maybe. they have. I feel maybe like they, they have. have but, How much know. was Bandersnatch? That movie had to be expensive to make. Yeah, I don't... I, I mean, I, this is... That, that being said, this is the type of movie that is nice to see on a mm-hmm. big screen. It's definitely a big screen experience, but... Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's worth the big screen ticket price, I guess was my point. Well, there you go. That is yeah. uh, Uncharted. A mild recommend, I think, uh, yeah. would be the overall feel it was on this. fun. Um, yeah. You both had a little more fun with it than I did. I had to find the fun. Um, mm. the, the fun The fun was not gone. It was just lost. Just I had lost, I had yeah. to find it uh, in there somewhere. Andrew, what did you quickly, what did you think of the, the Nolan North cameo? I was glad, you know. Well, I mean, I, does, it, does that make us simpletons? That I was like, oh, that's that's no. I I, <laughs> I, I feel like such a no, honestly, no. That's 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 just cheese for us to nibble. Like, because yeah. like yeah, I yeah. I, I laughed before he even said a line because I just know what Nolan looks like, and I'm like, yeah. Ooh, ooh. And, and then and then like a half a minute later, the rest of the crowd got it, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm I'm. I was the only <laughs> the only one in my theater who got it. I was the only one. And, I and like and Aaron theater. doesn't have any uh, connection to the franchise, and yet you were clear, like, oh, this is definitely something. Oh no, it was uh, like the movie was, was so obvious. obvious. Like, why are we stopping to talk to a random guy? Like, it was so clear. And actually, I assumed it was probably an actor that played the character at some point because yeah. he even yeah. says yeah. some sort of line like, "He's like that's oh, happened, yeah, that to, happened me to me once." Yeah, yeah. So yes, exactly. Um, yeah. There you go. That is Uncharted. Uh, it is available in theaters. Let's move on to our second review, which is Kimmy. I'm a voice stream interpreter. I may have heard a crime on one of the streams. The devices pick up lots of things. Just mark this degraded audio and delete it. I am not capable, and you know it. I think a woman might need help. 
How do I find out who she is? You need a device number and the admin code. Will you make me one? This is last favor, Cotness. Closure files come to my office. We'll listen to the recordings together. Miss Childs, I have to know what we're dealing with. We're dealing with what sounds like a premeditated murder. During the COVID-19 pandemic in Seattle, an agoraphobic tech worker discovers evidence of a violent crime while reviewing a data stream and is met with resistance and bureaucracy when she tries reporting it to her company. Uh, this is HBO Max, stars Zoe Kravitz. This is Steven uh, Soderbergh's uh, latest streaming effort. He has kind of like found his zone in the streaming world and is just throwing movies out every year, a couple a year. Uh, it feels like you've also got Rita Wilson popping up in here. Uh, it, Very briefly. Derek Delgadio from In and of Itself. I, I was so surprised. I'm like, is that Derek? <laughs> I didn't know he was even an actor. He he wasn't before this. This is his very first acting role. Oh, well, I, I there have, you go. I have to believe Soderbergh was like watched In and of Itself, whether he went to the show or saw it later and was just like, I like that guy. Let's, you know get him in this or yeah, uh, Aaron you were the one who turned me on to in and of itself Derek's mm-hmm. sort of real life magician cinematic mm-hmm. show whatever you want to call it um, and it's brilliant one, one of the most profoundly yeah uh, interesting and provocative movies I watched all of last year and it was he had a small role in this picture and it was it was nice to see him it was nice to see him um, Erica Christensen uh, in here as well uh, Devin uh, Rattray uh, who by the way if you recognize Buzz that's, McAllister uh, yeah Buzz McAllister uh, popping up here uh, so yes what did we think about Kimmy did we like it love it dislike it hate it or it was just okay Andrew you get to go first this time Oh, I did not like this movie. Did not <laughs> like it. Didn't like did it. Did not like this uh, movie. John, what about you? Uh, I liked it. High side, I liked it. I am going to say low side of loved it. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. I think Soderbergh is, uh, or Soderbergh is on a run right now. Uh, and I am, I, I am loving this stage of his career. He's just like, for me telling great stories like i just love that he just finds these stories that he wants to tell and scripts he wants to make and then just makes movies and uh and i really really enjoyed this one um jonathan what were some of the things that uh, that you liked about it uh the detail work um was really effective i think early on they set a very realistic space yes uh and and, and little things like just seeing um uh, Zoe Kravitz is like workspace and yes. it's a little cluttered. It's a little messy. And like the way that I, I, I'm just being a tech guy. I yes. am so appreciative when movies don't just gloss over. They're like, look, I'm in. I've hacked the system. Like, no, you didn't. You didn't do anything. You barely opened a window. Like you can't just type. You have to. And I like this movie didn't play down. And it, it actually showed some things uh, and it slowed down the pacing to be like, no, she needs to log into this console. She needs to copy a file from this to her drive to use it on her laptop because she's trying to separate work from personal. Like, oh, okay, that they visualized it and they slowed it down. And that's actually what you would want to do. And some guy mentions like using a, a, an incognito browser so you're not tracked. I'm like, yeah, yes, thank you. Like that's that's a real thing that people know about. But movies are just so... I think blasé usually about like the tech side of things and just individual moments. I need to hack into the mainframe. Yeah, I, I just I, I I also really appreciate it that this movie takes place 
during the pandemic, but isn't really about the pandemic. It was just like, yeah, no, this is reality. And I, I think it's weird that Hollywood has completely pretended like it hasn't existed for two years, because it does. And it doesn't have to be part of the story, but it can be a backdrop for the story. And I think they leveraged it really well here without really making the movie a pandemic movie. It was just, yeah, oh yeah, in this movie, people wear masks when they go outside. And that's kind of it. Like, that was kind of the extent to which it needed to feed into the narrative. And I appreciated that. It, it felt very much like there's a real person in a real place having real things happen to her. And the progression of movement that kind of raises the drama throughout the first act felt very organic and extremely well-paced. And then it was like that last 30 minutes where it started to lose me. I, but I, I loved the first half. John, I, the ending so I, uh, I, I just have to say, you mentioned the exact two things that that stuck out to me and it's it's great to have you on the show so i don't have to talk so much uh but the verisimilitude of the technology in this is just astonishing like as a sound person who has worked in sound editing and those kind of things i will be the person who when they play a sound file and they put something on the computer i'm like that's not a wave file and if that is a wave file it's not the wave file for what they're listening to like i can see that i can see what it annoys me because it's such an easy thing to get right Right. it's such an easy thing and i remember saying to my wife like in any other movie they would be like can you clean up this audio sure click click Click, click. i removed i isolated the vocals like that's that's not how that works you need to bring it into a preamp. You need to EQ out the low end and the high end. That's, she had you to can't get, just like, click a button. She had to get up. the giant soundboard. Yes. Yeah, and, I, and I really appreciated that they went through the work yeah. of showing, like, no, this is actually how you isolate vocal frequencies from, like, a really muddled recording. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you would not get this super clean, isolated vocal. You would get something that, like, sounded like a bad phone call mm-hmm. recorded through, like, a cardboard tube. And yeah. uh, I love that. Yeah. That it was realistic. All that stuff was handled so well. And then the other part, I think you mentioned the pandemic. This was my first experience with uh, pandemic-based entertainment where I was like, that's how you do it. That is how – that it's just a part of our world. And, you know, when at one point in the movie she mentioned something about, you know, COVID's been really hard on me or or whatever. I was like – you said the C word, like, cause movies will like tiptoe around it, you know, like the, yeah. and, and it's just like, no, this is how people talk. Like, it's just, I really felt like this movie took place, uh, in no. those things in the real world. Um, so, so yes. Uh, in addition to that, I think the, the technology, the, the digital assistant technology, which I have all over my home, um, was also really well uh, visualized. It's one that doesn't exist. You know, Kimmy is the the technology, um, which I think uh, has to be that way. But you can absolutely see this being, you know, a, a real tech company tech thing. Um, so yeah, I, just, I, I, I really appreciate like it too. It. I, I appreciate it. The very, I think, the first or second line of the film quickly just name drops Amazon and Google and and Siri to let you know, like. Kimmy is our version of that. Mm-hmm. Now let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think in, in lesser movies, they would try to set up this backstory. Like Kimmy is this autonomous voice activated digital. Just say Siri, we'll get it. Just say yeah. the word Siri and we'll make that connection in our mm-hmm. head and we can move past it. Yeah. Because for the rest of the movie, I'm just going to pretend this is Alexa and it's the same exact. But mm-hmm. obviously you can't use Amazon's device uh, by name, but you can mention it and you can kind of, it's it's quick screenwriting shorthand to get us where we need to be to understand how powerful is this company? Like, oh, okay, they're Amazon powerful. I get it now. Yeah. 
Yeah, or going to be Amazon pilots because yeah, they're getting right. ready for their IPO, right? Like that is that is kind of one of the primary yeah. drivers of the movie. Uh, I think I, they were going yeah public and stuff. So. Yeah, I I think the uh, the the logging of the uh, context issues was really smart too to show us like two or three, maybe even four of those. You know, kind of what she does at her job, and those all felt very real to me as somebody who has these devices. You know, like it's just yeah. I just I really loved a lot of that stuff. So I think the primary thing that this movie had going for it, and I think it's something Soderbergh's really great at, is it just put me in a world I was just into and believed and was ready to, you know, now tell me the story of this person and what's going. And I think you know, that goes a long way. If you can set up a really realistic environment for your characters in the first act, we'll, we're more likely to believe what happens to them in the second and third yeah. acts. And that movie did this really well. Yeah. Yep. Um, Andrew, we haven't heard much from you. I know you you didn't like this movie. Uh, so no. feel free to talk about whatever. You don't have to talk about good stuff. But yeah, tell oh, us some thoughts. I want to mention two things that I did like. Well, one thing I kind of have mixed feelings on, but one thing I definitely did like is the way that Soderbergh shot this movie. Mm-hmm. Because I think he was very smart the way he shot this movie. Whenever they're in Kimmy's apartment, everything is on steady cams or it's on still frames, you know. Mm-hmm. But whenever things are getting uncomfortable for her, everything is Dutch angles or handheld and it's kind of, it's not shaky to where you can't understand what's going on, but like it's a you know, like somebody's running alongside her and you know, you get the kind of uh nineteen nine late nineties cop show, you know, mm-hmm. like running with the police and stuff like that. It kind of felt like that, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I, I can dig this because it's a different way of trying to visualize what this person's going through. And that I, I guess that's a good way to lead into one of my mixed things that I kind of like, but I wish they could have done better about this movie. And, and it's one of the tropes that I wish Hollywood would really focus on fixing. And that's having a character whose sole identifying characteristic is their mental illness. Mm-hmm. You know, like, as somebody with a mental illness, I hope that people realize that there's more to me than just that. Right. And they do that with, uh, uh, is it Agatha? Is that her name? Or Abigail? Angela, Angela thank you. <clears throat> they do that with Angela. She's tech savvy. You know, mm-hmm. she's smart tech savvy. Um, I think that they could have worked with that a little bit more to where I think it was like 80% mental illness, 20% tech savvy. And I'm like, you could throw in a couple other things and they're like, maybe she's a great cook. I don't know. You know, just some, <laughs> just give me something. Well, to she, where, I, I think she seems to be an above average carpenter for whatever that's worth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. She definitely knows how to use a nail gun. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's going to lead into the thing I hate the most about this movie. Which was the villains, the criminals in this movie are so stupid that it's mind boggling. These thieve criminal guys make Harv or I mean Harry and Marv look like Anton Chigurh. It's it's crazy <laughs> how I, I, I agree with that. There was, there, was a, they are. there was some sequences, especially at the end. Yes, uh, I, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but at one point she shuts off the lights to like get a jump on the She's bad guys. She's talking for like thirty seconds and nobody's doing anything. And and it, it just seems so unbelievable that like you're next to an open window with a lot of like light pollution yeah. and street light, and shutting off the light is just going to make it dimmer. Mm-hmm. But you can totally still see everyone in the room. Yeah, and and it's like how slow are they? They have guns pointed and they're like. Uh, it goes, oh, look, the lights went out. and Oh, is that yeah. a stool? Oh, that's my face getting smacked. 
It just yeah. it, it seemed a little for a very smart and realistic movie. They lost a little uh, a bit of that credibility at the end when when the criminals. Yeah, they were like uh, yeah. yakety saxing around. Well, I'll tell this, you, this, I thought the, the movie Zoe was Kravitz, okay till that. Zoe point. Kravitz is probably like ninety pounds soaking wet, and these three grown men like had trouble subduing yeah. her. And I was like, I don't. I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I was okay with the movie. Like, it's okay, yeah. you know. But the last, like, 10, 15 minutes of this movie, I hated. Like, I was actually angry with the movie, mm-hmm. with how they were wrapping everything up. So that's why I don't like the movie. Up until that point, it was okay. Uh, I, I there's, there's another trope in movies like this, and I think this might have been the point. But, like, characters who are so painstakingly obvious that they're not good people. I'm trying to, you know, because sure. I don't want to spoil who's good mm-hmm. and who's bad, but like people are like, hmm, I guess I could go and call them. Hmm, winky winky, let me go. I don't think a- that's a spoiler. I re- I, it's not even, they don't even hide it. And yeah, it was frustrating I, to but me that's that... that's what I hate about it. Like, come on. Right. Like, it was frustrating to me that Angela put herself in a situation in the middle of the movie that exposed herself like physically and legally. And I'm like, she has been so smart and so buttoned up this whole time. And then she's like, I'm just going to go sit down with someone who was clearly the big bad and be like, "Mm, will you help me? It's like, no, no, they're not going to help you. They are definitely not going to help you. What are you doing? I I bought all of that. I, I, I'm with with you on the the action stuff. Well, I'm with you in understanding how you feel about that stuff. Like the, you know, the, the stuff at the end. Um, I, I I totally gave myself to it, but I was you know I was aware. Oh, yeah. we're we're doing a movie thing now. Now you know, now we're in a yeah. movie land. But the stuff going like the taking it that is something that felt real to me because I think we are naive. I think I, I you know maybe that's just me. I know I'm naive, so I would absolutely you know go to someone and just be like, hey, like what do we do about this? And it's like you know yeah, um, just dump so me This that. is my only copy. Here you go. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it seemed to me that 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 would be very believable for most characters, but they've already set up Angela as someone who was cautious, someone who was asking friends for like, what's the best way to handle this and, and sort of minimize my exposure. And she was already taking those steps to protect herself. So when then she then kind of stepped out onto this ledge, metaphorically, I was like, I don't. How does she not sniff this out? Like she knows that mm. she's in trouble right now, right? And and she eventually gets catches on to that, but for a while there I'm like this is she must know this is a bad idea. How does she not? And yeah. that I think that just ran counter to the character they had established in the first act as being very cautious okay. and and very uh, um I don't know that I 100% deliberate. agree, but I I think I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um for sure in that. Uh as far as the ending goes, I actually had more of a problem with the epilogue part of the ending than I did with the actual final like you know fight scene or whatever you want to call it um it's just it's some it's something oh, that's how you cure agoraphobia yeah right like like yeah. trauma more trauma is how you get cured like I like yeah. what is this I don't understand um I think this movie by the way had a perfect ending if they would have cut at a certain point, there is a, I'll just say a doorway conversation that would have made the perfect ending to this movie, in my opinion, mm. because it was hilarious. It was funny. It was and it was like it, everything had really been resolved that needed to be resolved. Even the thing they think they're resolving how do with we know the, what's going to happen to who. Surgery? Well, yeah. but, but even that stuff, like what do we need the epilogue for that that scene isn't saying, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, 
I, just, I know what you're saying. I wonder. I do wonder. I always wonder this when I when I think a, a movie if would have was a better executive name. notes. If somebody was like, "Hey," but I don't know who does that at HB, like at Warner. Like I don't know if somebody at Warner is like telling you know Steven Soderberg or Soderberg that he needs to add an epilogue to his movie. So I I I, don't I feel know like he might get true, some but, leniency at this point. I mean, this guy's been kicking around. For right. That's 20, what I'm saying. So, he, should, he should be able to kind of end his movies how he wants. So then I'm trying to think. Okay, is he making a commentary on this? Like, is he doing this for a reason? Like. The movie, this is not spoilery, it's just, it's it's technical, but the movie ends on, like, an old-school sitcom freeze frame. Like, what what is that? What is he saying with that? Like, what, They might as well do the jumping high-five freeze right. frame. Right, you know? so is that purposeful? Is he trying to make a commentary by that? Like, so, uh, in my opinion, I think the movie had a great ending um, moment that it could have used instead of, you know, going into that epilogue. Um mm. But uh, but yes, I understand the ridiculousness of that last scene. I also still enjoyed it. Um, there was something cathartic about it. I think it's that kind of like run Lola run kind of feel that this movie has, you know, where it's like, you know, there's this pursuit intention and then you're just ready for the tables to get turned. And I was ready for those tables to get turned. And so I kind of gave myself to it. Um, I, I, I enjoyed parallel, I enjoyed I the, the, the plotting here. It felt early a bit like. Rear window meets uh, the call or well, it's blowout, right? It's it's uh, yeah, a bit of blowout. It's for absolutely sure. blowout in many ways. Yeah, and then and then the second half was yeah, like run Lola run meets enemy of the state. Yeah, like I'm outrunning the machine and they can track me anywhere. Yes, and, yes. And, and and I like all those movies. And uh, this was like an interesting kind of mix of like we're kind of cribbing from this picture and we're kind of borrowing some ideas over here. And the agoraphobia meets this like pursued. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, person like yeah it was I, I really liked that this movie was something I hadn't seen before yeah 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 even though it was like pieces Familiar. of lots of yeah. things you've seen before yeah 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 interesting uh, any any further conversation um, not that I can think of really no. yeah I think we touched on I'll everything I wanted to forget about this movie by the time we finish this podcast <laughs> <laughs> Do you, oh, uh, and Aaron this isn't a fair question but I'm going to ask it anyway do it you We're not are about a fairness massive here. Soderbergh fan. Do you yes. think that your fanboyishness has anything to do at oh, all sure. with your love of this? Movie? Of course, of course, and that's okay. We'll allow I, it. Yeah, I in uh, in honestly, I've only recently come into my fanboy uh, stage with him. Like, um, I, I've loved certainly many of his movies, but I think when I I did during the pandemic. Uh, I really kind of filled in my gaps on his filmography, and that's when I was just like, "Oh, oh, so he's a genius." Oh, okay, I get it now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and and his his productivity and his um his ability to just keep cranking these things out is just it's so impressive to me. And I I can't I'm trying to think of somebody like that who's just like I'm just going to use the technology in front of me. And I'm just going to make movies. I just want to make movies. And that's kind of who he's been really since Sex, Lies, and Videotape. It's just like, I just want to use you know visuals to, yeah. to tell stories. And um, he hasn't really gotten caught up in the Hollywood machine in the same way, even after Oceans. Like, it wasn't like he became, you know, uh, he hasn't directed a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie. or Like, he's just, he, I, I mean, he quit that, the biz, though. right? Like, he was like, I'm done. And then he made the Nick TV show, which was incredible. And then he decided, you know what? I'm coming back because technology has made this simp- simpler and smoother. And I can just crank stuff out over, you know, I can make a movie in three months. It's like, go for it, man. Do Did it. he have any, 
I don't want to say, I'll, I'll just say gimmick, but I don't want you to come that to come across negatively. Sure. You know, like an unsane where he did the whole thing on an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Did he have any quote unquote gimmicky things with this movie or did he just? Not that I know I, of. Okay. I, I'm not certain, but I want to say he shot most of it with natural lighting. Uh, it, it did look like a lot of this was, and that, that would kind of go with his style. I know the last time I saw a Soderbergh movie, I think it was for this podcast, we, we reviewed Let Them All Talk, the mm-hmm. cruise ship movie with um, Diane Weeston and Meryl Streep. Um, and I think that was the same way. They shot the whole thing on like really basic gear, all natural lighting, like minimal setups, minimal takes. Uh, and I got the sense from Kimmy that they shot a lot of this in just a couple locations. And I, I, if I if they shot this entire movie in three weeks or less, I would not have been surprised. I will say I, I, I definitely agree with the negative point of the lighting not making sense at the end. I, I didn't understand yeah. what the movie was trying to tell. I loved the turn, by the way. I loved the click moment where it was like, and I won't give it away, but there's um, it, it plays into both the themes and the technological structure of the movie, in um, and also made a lot of sense to me. Uh, but um, but then from that point on, there were some commands where I was just like, I, I don't think that's really doing much for you. You're just talking now. <laughs> like, yeah. But um, but yeah, yeah. Anyhow, yeah. The movie introduces a character who we, we we mentioned like he he has no significance on the movie at all like through 90% and then he comes in at the very end and does nothing so his service to the movie is zero like yeah. is he there for referential purposes like <laughs> he, he was in this other his, franchise that his, had to his name with. is Kevin i don't his know name is Kevin. They, did name, they did name him Kevin yeah and that last sequence definitely felt a bit like Home Alone. That's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. Like, yeah. is that a winky sort hey, of a thing? Hey, maybe, maybe Steve is like a huge Chris Columbus fan. He was like, you know what? Everybody's we a don't huge have, Chris we, Columbus fan. <laughs> we don't. We don't have enough Home Alone movies. Home Sweet Home Alone didn't do too well, so I'm gonna get my own little spin on it. Yeah. Let's add this in. We only got another week of shooting, guys. What if we just write this as we go? <laughs> so for me, I honestly thought that character was a commentary on the like everyman nature of community and just like, you know, the the idea of during, you know, difficult times, people show up, that kind of stuff. You're right, he didn't he didn't do much. Um I that's I think that's a very favorable outlook. I saw Devin Rat Race character more as the Hollywood's insistence on painting uh, like the creepy perv as like the wannabe hero. Mm-hmm. Like he lusted after Zoe Kravitz from across the way his whole life or his whole pandemic. And then he wants to go and charge in and, and he does not. <laughs> and, and, and I got the <laughs> he, sense he that kinda it, it does, but it just doesn't goes away. Yeah. yeah it, it felt a bit like uh, that, like neck beard redemption arc that we've yeah. seen in other movies. And it's, it's just like, like he can just be a creep. We don't have to make him a yeah. hero too. I never saw, I don't think the movie was trying oh, to paint I him as a creep. 100% I think the movie, he was a creep. Okay. Just because he had binoculars? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's the <laughs> pandemic. What are you doing? It's just because he was I, a peeping Tom, he was a creep. Was Jimmy Stewart a, a creep? In, in yes. Gr- okay, okay, fair yes, enough. Yes, yes, I think so. <laughs> I no, think yes. Jimmy Stewart was 100% a creep. All right, I've disproved maybe, myself, maybe not, as often happens. I think, <laughs> I think creep carries some negative connotations to it. I mean, voyeur might be a bit of a, a more right. accurate term. He right. was watching. I don't know if he had illicit intentions, but... Um, he looked like he did, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yes. Well, didn't he, he, looked, he also he looked say like a, he like a, 
he was like uh, on the web trying to find out who he was, who she was, and he's like, it wasn't that hard. Yeah, um, there was that. There was that line that like he's yeah. already done a like a deep dive, mm-hmm. personal record search on her identity. So it's like, all right, you're you're watching her with binoculars, you're googling her name, looking up yeah. stuff about her. You know what apartment she lives in. Like, all right, maybe. Maybe you're doing. I don't a know. Bit I guess I, I took some. I guess I took some cues from the movie. I can't believe we're spending a lot of time on this, but I, I took <laughs> some cues from the movie. Number one, he's not in shadows. He knows that that everybody can see that he's leaning out his window. Like he's not trying to hide. That he's just looking around his neighborhood and seeing what's going on. Number two, I don't think Zoe's reaction. I don't think Angela's reaction to him paints that yeah. situation as like she's uncomfortable. I don't think th- we never get like the the at least unless That's I'm fair. forgetting something that that the the Angela character is like, "Oh, I can't believe that guy's got his binoculars on me again." Like, you know, it just didn't it didn't feel like that to me that the movie was saying that. I but. think she was wor- she had other things she was worried about in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Fair enough. I know yeah. about that. Uh, all right. It's the most important part of the entire movie. <laughs> it's the culmination of everything. You know? That's right. That's right. All right. Let's get into uh, the best ever challenge. But before we do, just a reminder, if you want to support what goes on here, you can do that as uh, being a member of Sift Pop. If you want to be a Sift Pop member, you can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash Sift Pop. Uh, as uh, John mentioned earlier in the show, we did a members only pre-show about Tom Holland's career outside of the MCU. So if you want to hear any of that conversation or or many of the other uh, bonus uh, podcast conversations, you can do that uh, by being a member at a certain level, as well as your own personal ad-free podcast feed. Uh, just pop that into whatever podcast player you use. You will get all the episodes, all the bonus episodes, no ads. It'll come straight to you in the same place you usually listen to your podcasts. Uh, if you're interested, just go to patreon.com slash siftpop. And thank you for even considering it. We really appreciate that. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, all right, let's move into the best ever challenge. We're going to do best ever unmovies, movies that have a word in the title that starts with UN. We'll go number five to number one. Uh, I'll kick us off with my number five, which might get trumped. I don't know. Uh, this is where I have the Untouchables. Uh, Me too. Number five. Oh, nice. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit, Andrew. Uh, it's my favorite Brian De Palma movie. 
I'll just say that. Ooh, that that's saying a lot. Actually, that is. He has yeah. quite a few. That yeah. Are really good. Uh, I, I I just love the uh, the way it goes back and forth between, and then there's a great uh, shot of your. <laughs> I, I I know this is breaking the fourth wall here, but <laughs> I just love Phil's attempt to bring up the picture, but he brought up his screensaver. <laughs> no, uh, the thing I love about the Untouchables is you know you get this connection like almost immediately between Sean Connery and uh, Kevin. <clears throat> and it's just it's crazy how good these two guys are together. That's Academy Award winner Sean Connery, thank you. That is true. Much. Sir Sean Connery as well. <laughs> Academy Award winner Sir Sean Connery. Yeah, he was only nominated once for an Academy Award and it was for this and he won. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. It's the only nomination he ever got. I got to rewatch this. I watched it a decade ago. I gave it a 7 out of 10. It, it would have just missed my list tonight um yeah. or this morning. And, uh, yeah, I remember really liking but not my top five. Uh, also, I think De Niro is great as Capone. He just he he just swings through the fences, and that is a reference. Uh, yeah, I love this movie. It's great. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you. Um, De Palma is interesting because he's another one that I've done some p- pandemic filling in the gaps. I mentioned uh, Blowout. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, you just mentioned Blowout. It uh, was one I just recently saw, and that's why it was so good. Fresh, in my me- fresh in my mind, and it is really good. And this this is really good as well. I mean, you look at the cast, you look at the performances. Um, yeah, I, I don't think you can go wrong uh, with The Untouchables. Uh, all right, so John, what's your number five? Uh, one I just caught up on very recently is the, I want to say the sixth or seventh entry in the Universal Soldier franchise, the oh. final one, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. Wow. So this technically isn't, this isn't an un, it's not an un-universal, it's, it's universal. UN. But That's it, fine. It but works. It, no, but it starts with UN. Um, this was a straight-to-video picture um, that brought back uh, Dolph Lundgren and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme from the original, but they don't really have oh, a lot of screen time in oh. this one. It's, it's actually about a new character. Um, I want to say new Universal Soldier. I want to say his name is Steve Adkins. He's a stunt double turned actor. Scott um, Adkins. Scott, that's it. That's it. Scott Adkins. And I've um, talked to Scott Adkins actually. I interviewed him. Like great. Yeah. He seems like a great guy. Yeah. And uh, this movie is a very hard rated R direct to video action spectacle, and some of the best stunt work, some of the best fight choreography, and some of like the most brutal and visceral fights I think I've ever seen in an action film. And if you want like a really hardcore, uh, like bloody action film that like does not pull punches metaphorically and literally, um, this was a surprise. Like 30 years into this Universal Soldier franchise, which I don't even think was very good to begin with, I w- this is the best movie in the entire franchise by a country mile. And I was like, this, it had no right to be. Every other movie is like very not good. And this yeah. one's like, holy crap, they like accidentally perhaps hit upon like a really strong, powerful uh, film that I, I feel is up there with like John Wick in terms of like the gun fu mm-hmm. stuff of like the last 10 years or so is like one of the better uh, like hand-to-hand action related comedy uh, action films. Nice. Uh, yeah, Scott Atkins, I interviewed him because he had a movie out last year uh, called One Shot, uh, which I highly encourage you to look up. It's a good um, movie, actually, because it is a one-shot action movie, um, and oh, that's great. or or presented as a one-shot uh, action movie. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, you can check that out. Uh, all right, on to our number fours. Uh, speaking of uh, Steven Soderbergh, uh, Unsane, I have at number four, and I think I'm kind of in the minority on really, really liking this movie. 
Um, I have. I don't even think I've even heard of this one. This it's was the one the, he shot on an iPhone. Yeah, this was the ah, okay. the first one. I think he shot on. I think he's done a couple uh, only on phones, but um, but yes, and it is hard to separate sometimes the uh, the idea of watching it and going, oh, you're only getting that shot with a phone. You know what I mean? Like there are those moments in this movie where it's like you can tell he wanted to take full advantage of the ability to be in corners or, you know, that kind of stuff that he can do with a phone. And uh, that part is interesting, but the movie itself is also really captivating. I'm telling you, the man just tells great stories. And if you want to check this one out, uh, I would highly encourage it. Um, it is, it was definitely one that I enjoyed. I, so. I definitely have to catch up on my Soderbergh filmography. I've seen 13 or 14 of his movies now. Um, and I, there's definitely a few big gaps. Aaron Brockovich, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, like, those are near the top of my list of shame at this point. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely. add Unsane to that list right behind the other 5,000 movies <laughs> on my watch list. <laughs> well, when you're yeah. dealing with somebody as prolific as is, is, uh, Soderbergh, like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a list yeah. for sure. Uh, what is your number four, Andrew? Oh, it's your number one, so we can go ahead and skip it. <laughs> so. You don't know. Is there air? You don't know. Um, <laughs> there is air in this movie. <laughs> There's an airplane. There's... Right. Well, we'll see. We'll see where uh, where it ends on my list. Um, okay. But uh, but yes, I know which movie you're talking about. Uh, what about you, Jonathan? I don't. I don't know what movie he's talking about. So United ninety three has been trumped. Uh, oh, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. Um, my my fourth pick is Union Pacific, which is a uh, a great like romance actioner, almost uh, pseudo documentary about the transcontinental railroad construction uh, back in the 1800s. Interesting. I want to say, I want, let me look it up real quick. Union Pacific came out in 1939, I think. Uh, I, th- I probably would have included that in my email, I think. Uh, yeah, 1939. So it is, it is a talkie. They do have, <laughs> they did have audio back then. Right. Uh, this is one of those great like Western epics with like just 12 or 13 different characters and all these like parallel stories. One guy's the railroad or one guy's like the outlaw. The other guy is trying to catch the outlaw. Then there's like all the different women that kind of feed into this that like come along for the ride. They live in these outposts that, that move across the country as the railroad gets further and further west. They keep moving these little shanty towns as they work mm-hmm. on it. And it was just like a really interesting like slice of life drama in the old west that meets like this really captivating story about how we built the first transcontinental railroad and like all the obstacles therein. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like a good old fashioned black and white western uh, every now and then. This is one of the best I saw. Uh, last year when I went through a Western uh, kick for a bit. Nice. So, yeah, what was Union the title Pacific. again? Union? Union Pacific. Union Pacific. Nice. Yeah, big recommend. Really like that one. Actually, for as much as I love uh, Westerns and stuff, the old, like the 1930, 40 uh, Westerns they, are They, they can be my, tough to get into. Yeah, like uh, the Tom Mix... Uh, you know, era, uh, like anything that's predating like the 50s or the 60s. That's really what my genre of Westerns and, of course, modern Westerns. So Would I it help to if I mentioned and... this was done by Cecil B. DeMille, who may or, you may or may not have heard of? Oh. Uh, Seckle? Seckle? Seckle Bedemil? Seckle Bedemil? Okay. I'll add Seckle Bedemil to my list of people I should look out for. Actually, I had no idea. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely add that. 
That's All right. Interesting. On to our number threes. Uh, my number three is Andrew's number one. So we'll just go ahead and. Uh... <laughs> I do you have a feeling. Know. I, I might you know what this know. one is. I might know what that one is. No, I don't know. Is it a, is it a Western? <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, my number three is Unforgiven. Uh, we'll assume yeah. that that is trumped. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Andrew, what is your number three? I got a documentary actually for oh, number nice. three. Yeah. Undefeated. It is uh, my favorite documentary. Uh, this came out in 2016, 15, somewhere around there. It's about a high school football team. Uh, it's like an hour and 40 minutes. You will cry for an hour and 40 minutes over a high school football team. It's all about this. Uh, actually, it's in Nashville, like in one of these uh, very... Uh, uh, run down neighborhoods of Memphis. Oh, Memphis. That's what it was. Memphis. Yeah, and it's it's heartbreaking to see this. The movie starts with the coach walking into the players' room, and he goes, "Okay, this player stabbed another student, suspended for the oh. year. Okay, this student uh, suspended for the year, shot another student. This student mm-hmm. uh, arrested for kidnap or uh, for uh, 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 thievery, like stealing from a grocery store." That would be enough for a coach's entire career. That was my Tuesday. And that's how the movie starts. Mm-hmm. Sure. And you're like, oh, okay, so we're really going to get into it. But to see the impact that this guy tries to make on these players' lives. And this this uh, team had never once in the entire history of the school made it to the playoffs. Never once. And it's his last year. And he's like, I, I want to leave these kids with something. I want to leave them not with just a, uh, you know, going to the playoffs and something they can hang their hat on. I want them to be better men than when I came here. And it's one of the most emotional movies I've ever seen. And the fact that it's a documentary, it's just so well done. It won uh, Best Documentary that year. I forget what year it came out. I should have I should have looked it up. When? 2011. 2011, yeah. 2011, it won Best Documentary. Oh, man, you're going to cry. I'm, I, I so put it much. on my watch list. That one looks pretty solid. It l- reminds me of Remember the Titans a bit. Very much. At least the, the, some of the way you described it. Yeah. You're going to cry way more. Yeah. yeah uh, it's real good. Undefeated is the name yes. of the documentary if you want to check that out. Um, all right, John, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is a picture um, that probably could have also been a buried treasure this week because I don't know that a lot of people have checked it out. Uh, it's an Iranian film from 2016 called Under the Shadow. And it's about uh, a mother and her child trying to escape the bombing uh, of her sort of Iran-Iraq war home. And it reminded me – and, and it starts off as like a really compelling uh, sort of intimate foreign drama where we're into these people's lives. We see how they live. Uh, and the Oscar loves uh, – Oscars loves those types of movies where we just see like the plight of like mm-hmm. the working class in other countries. And then the bombs start falling and they have to do this. But then the movie shifts into a horror movie – akin to the Baba Duke, and it gets really really Wait, unnerving yeah and it gets really <laughs> scary and really frightening and hmm. there's some like creature work and some like stuff with shadows and entities and it is it is frightening it is one of the scariest movies uh uh certainly one of the scariest foreign movies i've seen in a long time and i wow. guess Baba Duke counts as foreign because that was australia australian but yeah um yeah this english non english if if you if you like the Baba Duke, if you like a good horror movie, uh, there's Love a chance Baba you Duke. haven't seen this. 
uh, because it is from, I want to say, from Iran. I think it came from. It's on Netflix, it says. So. Uh, yeah, Under the Shadow, 2016. Big recommend on that one as well. And it's just, it's different. It felt like I haven't seen something like this before. You know, at the beginning of your description of this movie, that is not the turn that I thought I was going to take. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's not re- It's not quite a spoiler. I feel like they kind of layer that in early on. But I'm like, oh, this is like an int- this is kind of a depressing story. Like, I wonder if she's going to be able to save her kid and, like, make her way out of the country and evacuate. And it's like, oh, no, it's not that type of story at all. They're being haunted. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Interesting. It's, Interesting. It's pretty good. Well, uh, I added it. So. All right. Uh, number twos. Uh, yeah. You might be surprised, Andrew, to hear this is where I have United 93 uh, in at my number two. So, Trump. <laughs> Oh, okay. Really? Fair enough. That's awesome. Uh, Andrew, what is your number two? Well, it's your number one. So. <laughs> it's the only one left that I could have at number one? Yeah, exactly. We'll say, say it. Say Stay it. alive, damn it. It's a miracle. Unbreakable. <laughs> All right, Trump. That's uh, yeah. John. What is your number two? I feel. I feel like we just did this. Um, Unstoppable. Uh, Tony Scott's Runaway Train yes. trailer with Denzel and Chris Pine. I haven't watched it since it came out, but I remember loving this it's fun. in the theaters. It's really fun. It is, it, it is like a good old fashioned, uh, um, yeah. just adventure movie, and it's the kind of. It's so simple. Like the train is out of control. They have to stop it. That's it. That's the whole story. And these two, like Hollywood icons, just they nail it with a plum. It's such a it's fun, better than action. what I thought it was going to be. It really is. That. Like it, it could, it could have been really simple and really bad. Yeah. But they, they milk such a simple premise for like a, a solid ninety minutes worth of tension. And yeah. if you like speed, if you like runaway action, where there's not, a, there's not a bad guy here, right? It's the, the people versus a problem. There is no antagonist. There is no like, yeah. uh, um, you know, corrupt train yard foreman who's like trying to prevent them like no everyone wants the train to stop and it's just let's work the problem for that sounds like a great dennis hopper role the 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 train conductor or the train foreman or in the movie uh in the movie money train um uh convicted murderer uh robert blake plays uh the antagonist that he just wants to stop tens uh what's his name uh uh, wesley snipes and Mm -hmm. the other one what was Man. the other train movie that had Denzel Washington, but it had John Travolta in it, and it was uh, horrible? The Taking of Pelham, one, two, three, the remake yeah. of the the Landau film. From yeah, the that 70s. was that was not a good was, train movie. It was all right. Yeah. Uh, Unstoppable is a lot of fun. Uh, it is one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies. I recently heard him. That's great. That's uh, great. Break it down for like an hour and a half on a podcast. Yeah. Uh, I got to check that out. I want to rewatch it. It's been ten plus years since I've seen it, but yeah, it is a too. lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it is fun. I saw it when I came in. That was it. And 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 I think more importantly, Tony Scott, uh, uh, God bless him, uh, and rest in peace. He could shoot the heck out of an action film. He knew how to do like those like tight, tight whiz pan like telephoto close ups to really accentuate like the speed and the movement. And and he he had like a certain sheen and gloss to his action films that yeah. we don't have a lot of these days. Like he had a really good look to his films. Yeah. Uh, all right, on to our uh, number ones, and they are all known at this point, uh, if you've oh, been paying attention. No uh, spoilers. Uh, yes, uh, mine will start with Unbreakable is my number one, uh, you and yeah. movie. I uh, thought, I swear I thought you had 93 higher than Unbreakable. You know, That's fascinating. it's it's possible. I, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again right now. I don't check my best ever list uh, to mm. see. I, in the moment, think, 
which one of these movies do I would you know I want to put in more right now, or do I think is my favorite, or you know whatever? So well, with that logic, I don't think United ninety three would be on anybody's list. Nobody wants to watch that movie. No, it's but you know, you know, you know how your brain balances those things, right? So like, I just oh, yes. I ask myself in the moment, like, which of these is my better movie, my more favorite movie, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned the sh- it's the Schindler's List effect. Obviously, one of the greatest films ever made. Full mm-hmm. stop. But how often you're like, hey guys, let's get some popcorn and pizza and come over to my place. We'll watch Schindler's List tonight. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> it's not yeah. a thing that happens. That's yeah. not a movie you want to rewatch. Um, yeah. What you do you like about a, Unbreakable? There's a difference so much? between important movies that mm-hmm. it's an important movie everybody should watch. I am uh, first and foremost, uh, I am an M Night fanboy and apologist, uh, yes. and so there is that part of it as well. Um, but and, I th- and, and also, this is like his second picture. This is yeah. when he was still batting a thousand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just remember the first time I watched this movie, just being in awe of his uh, his shot choices, some of the things he was doing with mirrors and themes, and you know. Um, broken mirrors, I, like it's just there's there's a lot going on visually here beyond the uh, incredible um, plot and dialogue. So his yeah. color palettes that he chooses yeah. for each movie too. Ah, uh, and just purples in this one. It's it, it is mm. impossible to communicate now how crazy it was that this was a comic book movie uh, when this came out because the comic book movie it's not like it didn't exist. But it was not what you think of it today, and it was. And this came out right before Spider-Man One, mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I think that that for me, at least in my head, Canada is sort of the demarcation of like modern superhero movies versus the, like the Tim Burton's and the and the Chris Reeves. Um, I would go X-Men, but it's that's hard. Too. It's that's- hard for it's hard for me to think, and maybe it exists. I'm sure it exists. I'm sure it exists. But this feels to me like the first, at least, major movie that was like you know you can take comic book idea and put it in a serious universe you can take the idea of these costumed you know people and make it make sense for a real world environment you know this was uh this was this because before this you've got you know you've got the batman films that are really comic booky and rubber suits and over the top you know what i mean chris reeves superman yeah Yeah. and and this was just being like and not a lot else right those were like the two big franchises and we got i think some adaptations of fantastic four and captain america that like went straight to video that i think Mm -hmm. everyone who has seen them knows they're terrible yeah, I just um, looked it up. This came out a couple months before the first X Men movie. Yeah, they came out. They so, both came out in two thousand. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I really love Unbreakable, and uh, for all those reasons, and just I, I just think some incredible tension. It's clear how much he loved uh, taking things that Hitchcock did and, and making them his own. Um, so yeah, I just I was a huge fan. Uh, from and the real quick, how do you feel about the the two follow up split and? Um... Love split, hate uh, glass. I don't hate glass. Um, I hate glass. I I, th- I think I think those movies are just out of out of time. Um, I like it. It just feels like split to me was fine. I I really enjoy McAvoy's performance in Split um, and so Glass for that crazy. matter. But it's less of what Glass is about. Yeah. Uh, and of course the end. Um, we've talked many times on this podcast about my reaction to the end of of Split. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, it, it is, it is the most, uh, memorable, impactful movie going experience I've ever had. 
uh, Split was. The ending of Split? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Bruce Willis cameo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I well, remember flipping out, and everyone else was like, why is that important? And I'm like, you don't get the implications. Ah! I was so excited. But, but I'm not even a big M. Night fan like you are. So as like, an M. Night fan, you know he's talked f- ever since Unbreakable. Really that he sees this as a trilogy. He, he like I like this yeah. is a trilogy. I know I, there are more movies to this. Yeah. It's just we like I don't know when that's ever going to happen. So the fact that he had planted those seeds and then delivered yeah. a surprise, the fact that he kept that a surprise even though that movie by the way had been shown before it released publicly, like the fact that those people Your kept it quiet. Is- um, you know, like yeah, that's great. It, it was just, it was, it's hard to deliver a, a movie experience like that. Um, because I feel like the age of like the great surprise cameo is kind of dead because everybody ruins everything now. Yeah. Twitter has ruined but, the but, third act twist, <laughs> but it, it's almost like I want to fight against the idea of calling it a surprise cameo. Cause it's so much more than that. It's like he surprise. created yeah, a surprise sequel, like yeah. a sequel yeah. you don't know is a sequel to the last five seconds of the movie. Like that's, that's, that's just genius level storytelling yeah. twist type stuff. Like, I don't know how yeah. you, how you do that. And he did it. He pulled it off. And, um, that alone for me was, you know, that movie. So yes, I, I I have a really soft spot in my heart for Split. Um, I understand why everybody hates Glass. Yeah. Uh, it it yeah. makes complete sense to me why people would hate Glass. I just it don't. would be the equivalent of going to watch a horror movie in theaters now, and at the very end you see Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins, and you're like, oh my gosh, oh, it's right. a Cabin in the Woods prequel. That would be you know? wild. <laughs> you know. That would be wild. Like that's what I tell myself. Percent of the audience a would get movie. it. No, yeah. it's secretly a prequel to. Cabin well, you know who who tried to do who has tried to do elements of this is J.J. Abrams with the Cloverfield stuff, right? Like that. Yeah, that was the original intent with a lot of that stuff. Is people may not know they were Cloverfield movies until you went to the movie and you know some stuff happened. Um, but yeah. then he just put the title in the the name right. of the title, and he kind right. of ruined that well that's uh, anyway, what i'm saying they, they decided not to go that route but um right but yeah so anyhow yes uh, unbreakable is my number one uh andrew talk about your number one that is also my number three yeah uh is it any surprise that unforgiven is going to be my number one it's a clint eastwood western i it's i don't know what else to say uh westerns nowadays and i don't know if i've said this before or westerns throughout time have always gone through the tropes you know and they're legion of tropes now and they're very infamous you know uh gunslinger comes into town cleans it up from all the villainy it's the yoshimbo effect you know or yojimbo effect sorry um this is probably one of the first times that you saw a true realistic western and the fact that they got the most infamous western guy ever to do it clinish was like you know what i've been doing these these spaghetti westerns and these uh stylized westerns my entire career what if i went and i made a true authentic real experience western and it's insane uh you see i just recently it's crazy because i just watched this the other week uh just to rewatch it and it's crazy seeing how much Clint Eastwood's character is trying to forget who he was and who he, you know, used to be and that his wife, you know, uh, uh, fixed him, you know, and that's the entire driving force of the movie. But then there's that one line at the very end, like, what'd they do to Ned? And then you see him just, 
and he doesn't say anything. It's the perfect time for a classic Western one-liner, you know, like, well, let's go get him or something. He just walks over to the horse, picks up the bottle of whiskey, takes a swig, and you're like, oh, no, everything is undone. And it's it's such an amazing movie. If it wasn't for the good, the bad, and the ugly just being primo everything you would want in a classic cliche western this would be the best western of all time and if people say unforgiven is the best western of all time i would go yeah i get it it's it's unlike anything it's, it's else definitely like there. one of the perfect culminations of the genre in, in yeah. a way that like deconstructs what came before and improves on it and and kind of cashes in on all of the credibility of its action stars yeah. Uh, in a way that's that's really really satisfying. This just missed my top five. I yeah. I probably owe it a rewatch. Uh, when I reviewed it uh, six years ago, I, I said it was yeah really unflinching and powerful and uh, yeah, yeah totally totally agree with everything you said. And Gene Hackman's amazing in it too. I Gene Hackman is amazing in everything. That's yeah. true too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't really have much to add. You covered it all. Um, it so is it is astonishing. One of only three westerns to win Best Picture. Yeah. There you cool. go. There you go. Fun fact. Um, all right. So tell us about your number one, John. United 93. Uh, I only watched it the once after it came out. Um, mm-hmm. I have a bit of a, a weird, morbid soft spot for uh, 9-11 movies. Every 9-11, I'll usually watch one or two as a way to get myself back into that headspace and, and commemorate what best I can and kind of mm-hmm. make sense of my jumbled up uh, traumatic memories of that Tuesday morning. And uh, this, I think, of the... 30 or so 9-11 pictures and documentaries I've watched is the most effective. It's the most powerful. Yes. There's something visceral about like the real-time untelling of like these people on that plane finding out as they're happening, like, oh, we're being hijacked. And, oh, all the other planes that got hijacked are in the ground right now. Maybe we can do something about this. And that sort of camaraderie, that coming together, that it sort of embodies and, and, and uh, emboldens the American spirit in a way I don't think any other picture has done as effectively because this is real. These were real people mm-hmm. that literally sacrificed their lives to to help yeah. whatever. They didn't even know what they were helping. They didn't know they were on their way to the Capitol or to the White mm-hmm. House. They were just like, we have to do this because there's no other solution. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's shot really well. Um, uh, this was about Greengrass, right? Paul Greengrass, mm-hmm. same yep. guy that did the yeah. Bourne movies. Um, and yeah, and, it, and I don't love his like chaotic handicam style, but it works for this because it's a chaotic story that just doesn't stop. Um, another one I probably owe a rewatch to, but uh, especially like the last ten minutes are just like they're oh. they're uh, they're as difficult to watch as they are just like mm-hmm. uh, um, like nail biting. It's so good. Yeah. As soon as people, I'm getting emotional. Thinking I know. About I saw. Yeah, I sobbed through the entire thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And it's like if this was if this was fiction, it would be an incredible film. But it's not. It really yeah. did happen, probably very close to this dramatization, because we're just taking a couple guesses. Um, but because it's real, it makes it so much more impactful. Yeah, and it's it's a movie we know how it's going to end, but there's an oh, yeah. intimacy to it that prevails through the entire thing that keeps it like a... Uh, a, a scene I always come back to that kills me every single time is at the very end whenever people start calling their loved ones, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, okay, this is an... Int- we we only, as, you know, 
I guess you could say the witnesses or those that have seen the ramifications of a post 9-11 world, you know, we know the broad strokes of, you know, what happened that day, you know, Tower 1, Tower 2, the Pentagon and stuff like that. Seeing the intimate moments of the people who this affected and who this happened to is so, there's really not many words for it. It's a, it's something that I'm, I, I know I should have seen and I'm glad I have seen, but it, it kills you every single time you have to watch it. Yeah. It's yeah. Powerful, powerful movie. Yeah. And the, in the chat, Jay Bourgeois mentions, you know, how amazing it is that it came out within five years of the actual uh, event, which is, you know, usually you'd think too soon. In fact, I think there was one, I think world trade center also came out around yeah. that same time. And that movie did feel too soon. It felt like, you know, you, you kind of missed some things here, but somehow this it, movie. It also, it also um, wasn't good. Right. Right. Yeah. There is that. Uh, I, I, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just watched that this, this previous nine 11 uh, on the 20th anniversary and um, it just it, it aged the worst, I think, of a lot of the the, yeah. the dramatized um, narrative movies I've watched. I was going to recommend real quickly. There's a um, uh, a documentary. I want to say Voices from Inside the Tower, which is a collection of uh, voicemails and phone calls from people Ooh, who perished. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Uh, and it's it's real recordings of people that really were usually above the impact zone calling their loved ones, and it's like a ninety minute. Uh, History Channel doc where they just like interview the people that received the voicemails, the loved ones that have lost their their son, their kid, their husband, uh, and yeah, that's rough. That's a rough watch, but it's 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 that this uh, United ninety three tapped into a lot of that sort of mm-hmm. zeitgeist, like that feeling of like the inevitable. This is going to happen from the from moment one. Everyone in this movie is going to die, and it's like you got to just sit with that for the next ninety minutes and yeah. watch it unfold. And to I, I use. To use uh, some of the the real people in the you know tower control and yeah, right. like those kind of things that. in the movie was also a really inspired choice and um, I think very honoring of their work. So I yeah. don't know how Paul Greengrass did it. the The fact that if you look at movies like Nick Cage's World Trade Center, it felt like Hollywood was trying to make a buck off of mm-hmm. the tragedy, whereas United ninety three felt like he was paying tribute. And I don't know what that difference is. Like, he just made it more personal, and maybe it felt low-budget-ish, and it, it mm-hmm. just seem, seemed like it wasn't made, you know, to make money. It was made I think, to I think the, the intimate focus helped. It was just like, let's just focus on this flight and specifically these, like, five or six people. Right. Uh, yeah. Whereas World Trade Center was like, let's talk about the one firefighter who got pulled from the rubble the least, uh, the, the the longest from mm-hmm. the collapse. Yeah. And it was like uh, uh, Nick Cage's character in that movie, um, not to discount what he did, because he was obviously a hero, he doesn't help anybody. He goes in last, the thing collapses on him, and he gets pulled out last. Like he, it, it, It's not like a great story that shows right. a good cross-section of like what happened. It was just... They, they're in like the concourse, they're in the shopping mall underneath. Like they didn't see a lot of this stuff first happen. And indeed his entire perspective is like, what happened? I thought the elevator shaft collapsed. Like, no, both buildings came down. You missed the entire day. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas United 93 had more of a perspective, I thought that was, I think more useful and powerful because their decision is born out of the fact they know what's already happened. Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, World Trade Center sort of like, let's just follow this guy who's generally ignorant to what's going on. And he just needs to be saved and it's a it's a nice portrait of like the firefighters and what they did in the recovery but 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, not not one of my favorite 9-11 films. Yeah, Paul Greengrass and Peter Berg, both of those guys know how to make a respectable, like a in-memoriam film, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. That is uh, United 93 uh, was uh, John's number one, my number two, and Andrew's number four? Four, yeah. I'm glad we all picked it. I wasn't sure if you guys had even seen it or if, if people oh, even yes. liked it because it's been so long since it uh, came out. Yeah. It's just so hard to watch. It's very good. Yeah, I love it. I got one honorable mention because you guys mentioned the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unleashed. It's a Jet Li movie. I don't know if you guys have seen this one or not. Okay. You had it's me at Jet. <laughs> okay, so basically the premise it. of this is Bob Hoskins found Ooh. this uh, uh, little Chinese child and he raised him to be an attack dog. And he has a collar on him and Bob Hoskins' character is like a, uh, uh, a you know, a, a big underworld criminal, you know, like a like a Al Capone yeah. sort of thing in, in London. And he brings Jet Li with him everywhere he goes and he's on a leash and all he has to do is take off the leash, and then he just goes into attack mode. And he puts the leash back on him, and he's docile again. That's and it's, very it's, interesting. It's, <laughs> it sounds like it would be like a really crazy action movie, and don't get me wrong, there are crazy action sequences in it. But uh, Jet Li uh, comes across Morgan Freeman and uh, somebody else, I forget her name. But uh, they're... Then the movie turns into a rehabilitation slash trying to humanize this character. So the movie has several names. It it uh yes, as Phil says, it's a Jet Li movie with Mario. Um, and uh, it was done by uh, Louis Leterrier, who was the same guy that did uh, the Transporter films. Exactly, um, that's exactly which right. I'm, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah, it, it has another name, uh, Danny the Dog, but I think Unleashed is the more terrible name. Oh, is, yeah. glad they changed it. That's terrible. Yeah, Danny the Dog, Unleashed. It's. A surprisingly good movie with uh, an actual good like uh, story to tell. Nice, nice. Aaron, what did you have on your your honorable mentions? Uh, Dodgeball, a true underdog story. Uh, oh, I guess that counts. Start I was un. Yeah, it does. Un, uh, underdog. Right I thought the, the very first word had to be mm-hmm. un. No, just That's any why, any word oh, in the title. I, if 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 we're going by I, un, Dodgeball, would have probably been my number one. <laughs> really. Over United it might have bumped on United. You it's, know, United I, I just, Dodgeball, you know. I think Again, at that moment it comes down it, to rewatchability. <laughs> right, know? and I just rewatched Dodgeball uh, just a few weeks ago, and there, the whole movie is filled with good, quotable lines, and yeah. it's you can dodge legitimately, yep. it's legitimately hilarious. Cram it up your cram hole. That's, <laughs> it's, I still get mileage out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, also, The Man from Uncle. Uh, I think okay, is yeah. is pretty Great. good. Uh, Man, I would then, have to go through my entire list now and just find letters. Yeah, I just like, I just sorted alphabetically so went different. to UN. And then uh, yeah. the, the other one uh, does actually uh, UN is the first word, but that's uh, under the skin. The the Scarlett uh, Johansson hmm. uh, as the man eater. Uh, the movie's too weird. It is weird. It is a very weird movie. Did you have any others, uh, Jonathan? Um, one you had recommended to me, Untold: Malice at the Palace, mm-hmm. that documentary yeah. about the, the basketball fight. That was that was pretty good. Oh, that's um, so good. And another one that's worth uh, shouting out, because I think I had so low expectations that Unfriended uh, really exceeded them. Oh, that was the okay. movie. That was the horror movie shot entirely through the perspective of like screen sharing and video calls. Mm-hmm. And that was like one of the first, this was like eight, nine years ago. It was one of the first movies to really do that gimmick of a movie told entirely through screens. Yeah. Um, and it's not great, but I, I thought it would be terrible. So <laughs> I-, I-, I do like that one. And the rest, I- you guys have already mentioned, Unforgiven. Unbreakable, uh, the Untouchables, all uh, right there as well. 
Nice. Well, let's finish up with some buried treasure, guys. What's that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want people to know about? Uh, John, you're our guest, so you will go last. Uh, Andrew, why don't you kick us off? Uh, it's a movie that I was always really high on and uh, just rewatched it the other day. And every time I watch it, it somehow gets better and better. Bad Times at the El Royale. Yes. I mean, I love this movie whenever it came out, which was like 2017, 16, somewhere around there. Don't tell me that. No, this movie came out a year ago. <laughs> Don't <laughs> tell me cr- it's five it's, years old already. <laughs> yeah. I I loved this movie whenever it came out. Watching it again, because I, I bought it. Uh, it mm-hmm. was They had a deal on Apple, and I'm like, ooh, well, I'm going to buy it. It was like $5. And uh, I rewatched it, and whenever I was watching it, I'm like, how is this not nominated for Best Picture? It was one of the most captivating, most unique stories of that year. It was shot phenomenally. Everybody's amazing in it. It's a crazy, insane, as close to Quentin Tarantino as you can get without being Tarantino. Um, it's such a good, good movie. I, I recently, um, most people know this, uh, my day job is uh, writing for a channel called CinemaSins where we, you know, jokingly catalog mistakes, quote unquote, from movies. Uh, and I was assigned this movie. And when you do something like that, you watch every scene intently, what's going on in the background, what's happening here, what's, you know, it has the continuity or whatever. This movie got 10 times better watching it like that. Like, this is the kind of movie that rewards close watching because the way it does themes and there are so many moments and they're so subtle and beautiful that are about decisions about, you know, right side, left side, wrong or right, flipping a coin. Like, this movie presents them visually, thematically. Um, it's, it's just, it's astonishing. Um, there's a character who uh, dies in this movie and I won't you know spoil by saying which one but there's a character that that died well there's several characters that die in this movie but yeah, there's, there's a more than one <laughs> but one of these characters deaths is literally on the line dividing this hotel this hotel that they're at has a a dividing line between California and in Nevada. Nevada right yeah. and is dying on this line with a person on each side of them kind of representing two different things in his life i mean just stuff like that is throughout this movie where you just look at it and go how much brilliant thought was put into this movie i'm i'm, I'm glad you're bringing it up i will talk about bad times at the el royale uh, anytime you want anytime you want because it's it is it is one of my favorites and it just keeps climbing my list um well it's from a guy who's only technically directed two movies because uh, he's mainly writers drew goddard yeah drew goddard yeah yeah, he's an incredible Which writer. He, I mean, he he uh, directed a couple episodes of The Good Place. You know, that was his mm-hmm. brainchild. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, whenever I see this movie or A uh, Cabin in the Woods which we talked about earlier, it makes you think he has such a visual eye that I would love to see him direct more things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. he's incredible. Uh, both the movies he's done have been incredible. So, yeah, great choice. So, yeah, if you haven't seen Bad Times, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. Uh, I have a new sitcom, a network sitcom that I have picked what? up. They still make those? <laughs> uh, this is Abbott Elementary. Um, Abbott Elementary is on ABC. You can also find it on Hulu if you have Hulu. Uh, and it is basically the office meets uh, Boston Public. 
You know, like it is, Ooh. it is the office meets uh, inner city uh, school, uh, elementary like school. Nobody remembers Boston Public, but I loved that show. When I, I, I did too. I, I loved all those those Boston. What did the what was the law one that uh, legal was, Boston legal? Yeah, Boston legal, and yeah, all that stuff was fun. But this is this is a ton of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Everybody's great in this. Uh, you know the mockumentary gimmick still for me works i i like what it allows the characters to do um as far as you know kind of uh, telling their own story and in those kind of things reactions to the camera i think that's a fun little uh play um and it works here and i'm i'm really enjoying it so uh abbott elementary i know we don't often talk about network television uh but no, uh, almost never <laughs> And I don't actually have access to it on network television. I just watch it on Hulu uh, and, and enjoy it quite a bit. So Abbott Elementary is a lot of fun. Um, John, what about you? What's your buried treasure? Uh, i got to go back 50 years for this one. I, I, I trolled through all my recent rewatches and, and watches to find a movie that maybe you guys haven't heard of. And I'm confident neither of you have seen 1973's The Last of Sheila from Herbert Ross. This mm-hmm. is a murder mystery Sort of a celebrity-filled picture. We got uh, James Coburn and James Mason and uh, Raquel Welsh and a very young Ian McShane in the middle uh, of the picture there. Um, great cast. And if you like uh, Agatha Christie, if you like Clue, if you like something like A Death on the Nile, um, this is like we'll scratch that itch in a good way. Uh, six people come on board this guy's yacht, and he has a fun little game to play with his six friends. He assigns them each a secret identity, and they have to figure out what each other's identity is before the end of the week. And the sort of uh, the twist is not the twist of the movie, but the twist they find out is that each of their secret identities is a real identity and a real secret someone else in the group has. Hmm. Um, so as they as they play the game, they're like, "Wait a minute, we're we're actually getting to some like really difficult stuff here between us." And uh, and then you, of course, some people get murdered, and uh, it's it's a kind of a cat and mouse unraveling in real time over the two-hour picture and uh, uh, really fun. And I think it's the kind of picture that keeps you guessing. Lots of uh, like long monologues where people explain everything they think they know and then they get it wrong. Uh, it reminded me of a couple good Hitchcock thrillers and certainly like any of like the monologuing of uh, Hero or uh, um, uh, wh- whoever Danny Craig played in Knives Out definitely reminded me of those pictures. Yeah, uh, Benoit Blanc. Uh, yes, that's yeah. right. I was just thinking. Uh, yes, are you talking uh, Kentucky, Kentucky Fried uh, Sherlock? Is that what they call him? <laughs> yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The Last of Sheila from 1973. Really good uh, uh, murder mystery. Murder I'm mysteries, at, man. They're they're. I'm back. looking at the pictures of this, and I think I've seen this movie. I've, I it may have been on IFC one day, and it may have just been in the background. But I'm looking at the pictures, and I'm like. Yeah, I know those scenes. Like I'm looking at the James Mason character. With I love his... James Mason. There's something about him. He's just he's such yeah. a charming, easygoing. I could listen to his voice narrate anything. It's yeah. terrific. <laughs> I I, I have not seen it. Uh, it. Definitely sounds. I love that concept. Very interesting concept. Yeah, uh, it's it's a neat concept. He's like, hey guys, let's all get together and for yeah, a whole she week. She was the name of the I, boat. I, I want you. Yeah, and I want you to play this game. And I've given you each an identity. And they think it's just a game, like, oh, you're a baker, you're that a is, singer. Man, like, no, no. That is right. You're for... you're a murderer, you're a closeted homosexual, you're a shoplifter, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. These actually prescribe to real people in the group. That, but the that other is, five don't know it. 
That is just that is that is ripe for a remake. That's just a really fun concept, and a lot of people yeah. I'm sure haven't heard of it. So there you go, The Last of Sheila, which is available to uh, rent or buy it on digital platforms. Uh, Abbott Elementary yep. is on Hulu and ABC, and Bad Times at the El Royale also available to rent or buy on all digital platforms. Uh, well, we did it, guys. We managed to Woo! do a podcast. We charted the course and uh, made it happen. So well done. Thanks for joining Kimmy, us today. Please stop recording. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Sif Pop is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Well, thank you, buddy. Uh, big thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Let's Phil. And thank you to John Paula for joining us Woo. today as our guest guru. Yay. John, where would you like to uh, send people? Where, do, where can they find you? Uh, you might as well go check out my letterbox. I'm a couple weeks behind, but I did just review um, the newest Peacock film, Marry Me, with uh, Jennifer Lopez and mm-hmm. Owen Wilson. I, I didn't think very highly of it, but if you'd like to read my 500-word review, you can find it at uh, letterbox.com forward slash John Paula. There you go. Well, we appreciate you being here. Um, of course. And look forward, Pleasure, look forward to seeing you again. Uh, much love and gratitude to our Sif Pop members for giving monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing. Support starts at three bucks a month. You get access to bonus episodes at certain levels and fun perks. You can check it all out at patreon.com slash Sif Pop. Lots of ways to connect with us. Uh, you can leave a comment, a rating, or a review at Apple Podcasts, or you can email us, feedback at sifpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too, so make sure you let them know about it and that listening is much easier than pretending you have zero privacy and are under constant surveillance whether you like it or not. <laughs> uh, we will be back next week, I think, with Cyrano finally coming out uh, in theaters next week. We'll talk a little about uh, Cyrano and uh, maybe do a review of The Music Man on Broadway since I'll have seen that uh, by then. Um, but we will see you then. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.